Welcome to the new revolution in fitness and performance, the Ardella Training Podcast, forging athletic bodies around the world. Here's your host, physical therapist and strength coach, Scott Ardella. All right, guys, welcome to episode number 123. First of all, thank you so much for being here. And in this week's show, I know you're going to enjoy it. I have Dr. John Russin. He's a physical therapist and strength coach. He's known as the Strength Doc, and he combines his unique approach to performance training with his background as a physical therapist. You're going to hear all about his approach, his training philosophy, and what he focuses on in this interview session. Now, John's also doing some really great things over there at T Nation. You're going to hear about some of his uh, more popular articles and current things that he's working on right now. So this is really exciting stuff as well. You can find him online at drjohnrussin.com. And uh, again, I think you're really going to enjoy this interview session. I really had a blast speaking to him. It was the first time I ever spoke to John, and he's really, really a fantastic guy, really uh, sharp and insightful, and uh, shared some great things in this interview. Now, before we get started, don't forget to leave your review in iTunes or Stitcher if you enjoy the show. It's really easy to drop in your review, and uh, I certainly appreciate all the great feedback on the show. Now, if you'd like to check out the kettlebell brand that I use, Make sure that you go to ardellatraining.com forward slash kettlebell. I've been recommending the Rogue brand kettlebell for a long time. I think it's an outstanding high quality kettlebell. And if you'd like to see the exact kettlebell I use, go to ardellatraining.com forward slash kettlebell and you can check that out. Also, be sure to check out the all new and redesigned ardellatraining.com website. I did a complete overhaul to the website, basically made things a lot more functional and made things so it's easier to find some of the articles that I had written in the past. And if you go to the blog page in particular, and if you click on the banners on the right sidebar that say guides and training, that will take you to some of the more popular articles, some of the really um, insightful articles about uh, training and performance. And you'll find different programs listed on those pages. A lot of great insight. I'm still putting everything together there. But if you go to those pages, again, if you go to the blog page and then click on either training or the guides page, you're going to find a ton of great content on both of those pages. And I really want to make things a lot easier to find on the website because articles I've written in the past, they tend to get lost in no man's land, you know, lost in the archives. And it's really hard to find some of those articles. So now I'm making things much more easier to find. And then also, if you're new to the show, if you're new to ArdelloTraining.com, make sure that you go to the Start Here page. And I'm basically taking the key information that will get you started in strength and performance training the right way. And that will include links to some of the uh, podcasts that will get you up to speed right away. And then also some of the more important articles that will get you up to speed right away about uh, my training approach and what we talk about here a lot on the show. So check out the newly designed ArdellaTraining.com. I think you're going to really enjoy it if you haven't seen it already. And I'd love to hear your feedback about the, uh, the new website design. And by the way, look for a ton of new changes and updates to come soon 
on the website as well. So listen, I wanted to just let you know about that. And uh, we're going to jump right into the interview with John Russin. Again, we're going to talk about muscle building, strength training, performance. You're going to hear about things that John is working on right now that are really exciting as well. I really enjoyed this conversation and I think you're going to love it as well. So with that, let's get started with the interview with Dr. John Russin. All right, guys, today I've got physical therapist and strength coach, John Russin. And John, I've got a ton of questions for you. So we're going to jump right into things and get started. Uh, before we get into the, uh, the content questions, I wonder if you can tell listeners about your background, your unique background, I should say, as a physical therapist and strength coach. And also, how did you become a PT? Yeah, so I actually started out in collegiate strength and conditioning right out of school. So I was an exercise science major, you know, went on and got the accreditation with the CSCS and jumped right into Division One strength coaching. That lasted about three months, and I decided to go back to school right away, hopped into a DPT program, you know, always with the goal in mind of getting back into strength strength and conditioning and high-performance training. So yeah. that's where my mind was for that three and a half years in grad school and ended up trying to mesh the two professions together once I graduated from DPT and ended out in a job out in Southern California where I played a dual role as both a strength coach and a high-performance physical therapist. Nice. And, you know, I think that's really great to have that background, um, you know, in strength and, and fitness before you come into PT. And I know that's really the same thing with me. You know, I mean, that's really where my passion was. I, I was a bodybuilder and then I ended up becoming a PT uh, through an injury I had. And now it's kind of come back full circle where, where I've really gotten into the strength coach type stuff. So I think it's a great uh, combination to have. Um, you know, one question I really like to ask is about the, your training. I like to ask guests about their training. So tell us about what you're doing in your own training right now. So as of late, the last six to eight months or so, I've been focusing on high performance and also bodybuilding, which is a brand new endeavor for me. Okay. So I've always been doing high performance training when I was a baseball player growing up, always building that athletic physique. But as I got older and older, I realized that really hypertrophy was where I wanted to go to one, really prioritize building muscle mass for the longevity of my training career, but also my life, but also to look a little bit better and function just as good if both of those things were able to be achieved in the same program. So that's kind of where my head's at now, and we've had a chance to learn from some great people, and we're kind of meshing the best of all programs together to create uh, the platform that I currently use. Nice. Well, again, you, you kind of mentioned it, but, you know, hypertrophy is so important. And, um, you know, I've been reading a lot about sarcopenia and really the devastating effects of that. And uh, it, it's so important to, to build muscle mass. And I think we really have to think about, you know, strength and muscle and the long-term benefits of why we need that, you know, for our health and certainly for our performance. So tell us about uh, who you work with. What, what type of clients, uh, patients do you have? Tell us a little bit about that. So we have an exciting client list, and it's exciting from a professional standpoint because of its diversity. We literally have people from all walks of life right now, both uh, in my current practice here up in Madison, Wisconsin, but also from an online standpoint on our coaching programs. So we have IFBB professional bodybuilders. We have professional triathletes. We have mothers of five here uh, you know, that run 
the soccer mom scene, we have people up to age 78 right now on our strength training programs. We really see a bunch of people in addition to uh, NFL and MLB athletes as well. So it always stays fresh, but uh, it's always something new where we're challenged to figure out some new ways to get at people's goals. Now, how do you evaluate your uh, live clients? What, what methods or techniques do you uh, use to, to screen? I'm a big believer in the functional movement system. So the one thing that we always start off is the functional movement screen. In my opinion, it's the best seven minutes you could possibly spend just to put a metric baseline on somebody's movement capacity. And hey, we're practitioners here, so maybe see if they have any pain provocation where we can identify some weak links and move into something under the same system called uh, selective functional movement assessment. Right. So we use both of those tools, but that's just uh, to get the ball rolling. Obviously, we go into movement. Uh, I really am a big fan of looking at gross motor patterns yes. and seeing them also loaded up because a lot of people can fool the practitioner. They can fool the coach when they go through body weight or even um, you know, movements that aren't quite loaded up enough where they really fall into their you know, their dysfunctional movement patterns. So taking a look at everything, uh, we try to do our homework and our assessments are pretty at length, even uh, from an all mind standpoint, just because we want to get as many data points as we possibly can. The more data that we have to play with, the better programming methods we can place. So talk to me a little bit about uh, how you would do that for for an online uh, patient. How would you how would you screen those type of people? You know, Skype is a beautiful thing, and FaceTime (laughs) is even better. Uh, So we spend at length time on Skype, especially the first week, week and a half, building these programs. Uh, I'm not a huge believer in cookie-cutter programming. I think that people are individuals. They have unique bodies. They have unique histories, but also they have unique goals. And really to try to match those in person is hard enough, but when you throw it into an online standpoint— you're really behind the eight ball before you even get started. So the more FaceTime that you can spend with somebody, whether it be through the computer yes. or even uh, even on a, a phone call, is really setting yourself up for success, trying to get to what the linchpin is going to be that's going to make a successful program or have a program fizzle out. Right. Now, are you saying that do you do FMS screens? Virtu- Absolutely. Virtually? Really? Explain how that works. You know, it's as easy as having an email going out, making sure they have some sort of dowel. For most people, it's a broomstick. Somebody always has something that they can step up on using, uh, you know, the the dowel portion. And we literally just go through. It's not going to be as accurate as something that we do in person. Obviously, I'm not able to walk around getting the different angles from the frontal plane, the sagittal plane. But it's things that if you've done enough screens in your career, uh, as I've been lucky to have done, you can see things jump out at you right away. And it's uh, things that, again, it's a screen for a reason. And really, from a PT standpoint and a regeneration standpoint, we're looking at, does this movement hurt you, first and foremost? And if it does, we need to take a look at how we're going to remediate that before we move into any strength. But also, it's just a nice uh, starting point where we can see somebody just how they move. And then we get a little bit deeper with it. We get into you know push-up, uh, pull-up deadlift pattern, squat pattern, and then also any other movements that they're having trouble with just so we can identify anything. So we do do these Skype sessions. Uh, I do it from my home office in my home gym so I can 
instruct these things, but also I have them do it if they're able to either on their cell phones or tablets while they're in the gym. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. I was trying to figure out if you actually did an FMS and and you do. So that is uh, really outstanding. So speaking about the FMS, I know that you have a uh, interview coming up with uh, Gray Cook and you guys, as I understand it, are going to talk about uh, CrossFit and the FMS. I wonder if you want to maybe talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I'm super excited about this, uh, this conversation coming up. We actually have it scheduled for tomorrow, but this all came out. I've been working with the FMS for about two years now, so I've been consulting with them, uh, throwing around some ideas with uh, Gray, Lee, some of their other people, and it came down to, hey, do you think CrossFit could actually implement the FMS and be successful with it? So this was a question that I had a conversation with Gray a couple of weeks ago, and really it comes down to, I think it could happen, but... Nobody wants to hear that from me. They want to hear it from Gray. They want to hear it from the king of movement. So after writing an article on T Nation, which I call him for, with Dr. Stu McGill, you know, we we opened up the minds of a lot of people, not only in CrossFit, but just throughout the industry. And really, there was a great positive response off of that. And it was a hugely popular article because there was just a lot of positive, constructive feedback, not only for CrossFit, but throughout the industry, whether, you know, you're a power lifter, whether you're a bodybuilder or, you know, a kettlebell enthusiast, you know, the word CrossFit in the title of that article could have been easily replaced with any of those other uh, specialties. And I think really people resonated with that. So we wanted to take it one step farther. You know, Stu and I covered a lot within the programming itself of CrossFit, But I want to take it one step farther and look into the actual athlete intakes and what we could possibly do as a system to improve both the injury rates, but also to improve the functional capacity of people's foundational movements. Yeah, so I I read that article with your interview with Dr. McGill. I thought it was really fantastic. I'll definitely put a link to that article in the show notes for this episode for people that haven't seen it. I wonder if you can share maybe couple of the key insights that you took away from that? Well, the first one, like I said, um, this really goes throughout the industry, whatever your specialty may be. CrossFit gets the hype because it is the top dog in fitness right now. There's no doubt about it. You know, the numbers do not lie. The growth and expansion of CrossFit as a brand and as a sport don't lie. So, for us as professionals to make a dent in on the industry, the way people are thinking, we want to start at the top down. So we really want to look at the big dogs, which is CrossFit, which are the CrossFit headquarters, and really have them start to think about some stuff and implement some strategies that can really be protective for their athletes for the long term. And then it'll trickle down into the commercial gyms. It'll trickle down into the training centers. And that's one of the biggest things that the article showed but specifically, there's a, there's a passage where Dr. McGill and I went back and forth, and we talked about the programming methods of the one-size-fits-all. Right. So, you know, when you walk into a daily wad, no matter, you know, going back to the FMS, whether you have a, a score of a 7 or a score of a 21, you're going to be doing the same exact workout unless there are some types of strategic modification put into these programs. And really, uh, when it comes down to Olympic lifting, that's a very, very high-level activity 
physical activity. Yes. And it's really meant for top end athletes that are really prepared to do something special with the barbell. And it's, it's not for everyone at that current point. You know, people on a daily basis walk in with different presentations and everyone needs to be working towards moving and feeling better so they can ultimately perform with the top end tool, which is the barbell. But without uh, the ability to modify for, from person to person, we're really at an increased uh, injury risk. If you had to guess, uh, what would you say would be the percentage of people that are doing CrossFit that should not be participating in Olympic weightlifting? Would it be 10%? Would it be 40%? What, what, what do you think would be accurate? You know, it's hard to put a number to that, but I'll just say uh, we see Olympic weightlifters in my office in Madison, and I'd say a majority of these high-end Olympic weightlifters don't have the requisite mobility or stability patterns to be doing this long-term uh, without hurting themselves. So that's Olympic weightlifting. Yeah. <laughs> that's all that they do. This is all that they do. That's crazy. And then you throw you know, metabolic fatigue on top of that, and you throw um, the inability to stabilize certain segments of the lumbar spine, of the shoulder complex, of the hip complexes. Uh, that just exponentiates those numbers. So in the CrossFit games that we're going to see coming up in July that are just precision with their lifts, things out of the textbook. Yes. And then you're going to see others that are just going to fall apart you know, under high loads or high metabolic stresses. So it's hard to throw a number on it, but yeah. more than we'd like, yeah. more than we'd like. Yep. So it sounds like your approach to uh, performance training is really a, a movement-based approach. How much emphasis do you put into strength, and can you talk about some of your preferred training tools? As a physical therapist, everyone wants you to say, hey, don't train heavy. Hey, don't push the limits. But in reality, I, I look at it from the opposite direction. Strength is paramount. So I mentioned that I'm in, currently trying to build muscle in a hypertrophy-style program. Right. But strength is a huge component to that program as well. Strength is what holds the foundation of the house together, whether you're in high-performance athletics, you're in bodybuilding, or even if you're in uh, more of a niched athletic population. So strength is pivotal. And really working it and putting a priority on it, first and foremost, before you get into uh, other aspects of your program is huge, especially for long-term success. Uh, so do you prefer barbell training, machines? What, what are your kind of methods right now for hypertrophy? We use it all. Uh, I'm a big believer that every single tool that you walk in the global gym seeing can be used to some extent. There are a couple machines out there that I think should just be thrown in the garbage and they're a waste of gym space. But most things, if you're intelligent enough to use them in the proper manner, if you can set up correctly and you have the right intention for that movement, they can be uh, you know, a tool that you can put in your training arsenal. But I would always say that people should aspire to eventually be able to use the barbell proficiently. And that doesn't mean that they need to jump right into barbell training right away because I'm a believer you have to earn the right to lift with the barbell. You got to earn the right to deadlift off the ground with the barbell. You have to earn the right to bench press. You have to earn the right to squat with the barbell on your back. And that's one of the biggest misconceptions is that people hear squat. They think that they got to throw 275 on their back with the barbell and go nuts. 
They don't. You know, there's a continuum of progressions and regressions. And really, to, to move quickly through the progressions, we need to be starting at a more foundational basis of just movement, mastering the movement, loading the movement, complexifying the way that we load the movement with different implements, and then moving on from there. You know, it's definitely a progression that we need to be able to earn in order to move fast for the lifespan. If you want to be doing this the rest of your life, the next 40 years, 50 years with success, and you want to be healthy and functioning when you're 70 or 80 years old, it needs to be viewed on a long-term continuum where you really earn your right to move up the pecking order. Right. So I think what you're saying is, is technique is really critical. Oh, yes. Technique <laughs> is paramount. Yeah. Now, what about uh, machines? I've never really, I, or I don't ask a lot of guests this question, but w what are your thoughts on machines and, and their role in strength training and muscle building? And when I say machines, I mean like, you know, uh, seated uh, shoulder press, pec deck, that type of stuff. I was never a big believer uh, from early on in machine work. And about over the new year, it really opened up my mind. So I was over in China uh, consulting with the Chinese Olympic Committee. And first day I walked into their uh, Olympic training complex, it was literally wall-to-wall -wall machines. <laughs> I couldn't get over it. I was like, man, wow. these guys are winning Olympic medals. They came second in the Olympic medal race uh, last summer Olympics to, the, to America. But yeah. before that in Beijing, they were actually the best. They had the most gold medals. So I'm like, man, they're having success using this stuff. So I'm going to see exactly how they're using it. So really that time over there opened up my mind that it can definitely produce results, especially in a population that's already very talented. So machine training for the elite athlete, you can produce results very quickly, especially in hypertrophy and strength. Yes. For the rest of us 99 percenters, putting an emphasis on machine training is very limiting because we're not training things for the long term. We're not training our motor control, our stability patterns, our foundational movement patterns. Those things are kind of thrown away uh, for something more simple where they can progress quickly in terms of load before they've actually mastered the requisite movement. So I, I personally use machines. Um, I don't use them predominantly, but they are part of my program, just as every other tool is uh, part of my program every now and then. But uh, that really goes to the individual. If the individual has goals that need to be achieved within six to eight weeks, machine training might be a great way to get them there. But if you have, say, four years to work with somebody like the collegiate strength and conditioning setting, you want to be teaching things above and beyond uh, just getting somebody strong in a short period of time. You want to be teaching that hip hinge pattern, the squatting pattern, uh, you know, the, uh, the motor control to keep a stable core, things along those lines. So it's all independent of people's goals. Right, right. And I would agree with that, by the way. I think it's really important to focus on uh, functional movements and long-term, you know, uh, benefits of movement patterns versus machine type training. Although I think that machines do have a role for, you know, bodybuilding style type training and, uh, you know, hypertrophy, but uh, a limited role. My earlier career, I used to do a lot of machines and I really wasn't focused on the movements at all, but that's actually radically changed in recent years. So let's talk about uh, programming now. I wonder if you can maybe talk kind of top level about uh, programming approaches and maybe with regards to what you're doing right now. A lot of our clients are 
trying to achieve the same goals. So everyone's trying to look better. Everyone's trying to reduce their body fat. And everyone wants to put on a little bit of muscle while they do that. But beyond all of that, they need to feel and function at their best in order to the, for this to be a long-term thing. So really, we break our programs down pretty simply. We have three phases of a quote-unquote warm-up where we just do a generalized pre-training warm-up, a dynamic warm-up, and then uh, specific ramp-up sets for every single movement that we're going to program in a training day. So those can be achieved as simply as a couple minutes before you start in on your strength work, and they can be as complex as spending 25 or 30 minutes really uh, focusing in on mobility, activation patterns, things along those lines. It really just depends on what the client's goals are and what they're trying to achieve. You know, for me, I've tried to simplify my dynamic warm-up, also my activation strategies, and really just put an emphasis on trying to get as proficient as possible with every movement that I'm doing that's a loaded movement. So using, um, using movements that actually prep your body for performance right inside your strength training program as opposed to doing it in a separate a separate way, similar to like an activation pattern before you go into your big strength movement. So really driving blood to muscles, really trying to activate, putting stretches on muscles, and really just trying to get uh, a pattern where we can later on really activate to the highest extent under some pretty heavy loads. Now, is what you just, just described, is that the pain-free training approach? That is the pain-free training approach. And that term is funny because that's what we've been known for is, uh, you know, Dr. John Russell, pain-free strength training. Right. But in reality, I mean, what is painful strength training? That's what our industry has turned into. You know, if you're doing painful strength training, you're not doing it right. And the fact that we have to say pain-free strength training uh, really is kind of sad to me because really that's the first thing about a training program that needs to be done is don't hurt somebody. Don't hurt yourself in training. That's number one. Actually, number one would be don't kill yourself. Number two would be don't hurt yourself. But really, um, pain-free training is really foundational training that's done in the right manner. Okay. Now, you have some information coming out uh, pretty soon, as I understand it, around this type of programming. Is that right? Yeah. We have a exclusive program coming out on breaking muscle. It's going to be a 12-week hypertrophy and fat loss pain-free training program. So it's going to cover nutrition. It's going to be covering regeneration, strength training, physical therapy-esque training days. It really is going to cover everything that we do with our one-on-one -on -one clients and then some, which is very exciting. Very cool. Tell me about regeneration. What, uh, what does that mean and, and how do you approach that? You know, regeneration can be looked at in a bunch of different ways. You know, you can start the regeneration process before you even end your training session. You know, things like loaded stretching, things like force stretches, those kind of things, driving blood to the muscles, getting some more mobility under loads, that can be very good for regeneration uh, later on in the week if you're going to train that same muscle group or those same patterns again, or even down to separating it out to an, a, a separate day. So we do things along the lines of uh, advanced soft tissue work called hands-on SMR techniques on the tail end of each and every training session that literally take about two to three minutes to complete, but just streamlines the process of tissue healing right away before you even walk through the doors of the gym to get out of there. 
Let's, uh, since you just mentioned that, let's talk about this uh, hands-on SMR techniques. Um, tell us about that, maybe kind of specifically what that is, what it looks like. Well, hands-on SMR techniques are something that we came up with about three and a half years ago. So we were forced to come up with something for some of our MLB athletes that needed more and more soft tissue treatment above and beyond the foam roller, above and beyond the lacrosse ball, and really uh, on a more frequent basis than their team athletic trainer was able to give. You know, in spring training, there's about 400 people on the spring training roster. So there's only about five athletic trainers there. So you're not going to be getting uh, ART. You're not going to be getting muscle energy techniques every day, even if you need it and you're a top-end player. So we, we devised a couple strategies around the shoulders to actually use our own hands and work on tissues similar to an advanced soft tissue treatment that you would get from a physical therapist, chiropractor, massage therapist, but doing so in a directed manner where we're really looking at function first and foremost. So identifying places that really need work and really trying to remediate it literally with your own hand on your own tissue moving through a functional movement pattern. So that really took off, and we, we developed five strategies around the shoulder. that were this, uh, These strategies were later published on T Nation, and uh, these strategies just took off because we're up to about 65 different techniques for tissues all around the body that people can really be self-sufficient with their own soft tissue health. So hands-on SMR has a couple advantages over the traditional SMR, like the foam roller, lacrosse ball, the stick. So your fingertips, specifically your thumb, have a more acute surface area. So it has a tiny surface area compared to the circumference of something like a foam roller or even smaller, like a tennis ball or lacrosse ball. Yes. So the finer surface area at the thumb or the fingertips is able to treat uh, finer tissues. So say something like the rotator cuff or something like the tendons of the IT band a little bit more effectively than something with a bigger surface area like a foam roller because we're able to keep over those tissues. We have more authority over those tissues, and it's not going to slide in and out similar to what a foam roller would. Right. So when we think about tissues that we want to treat with hands-on SMR instead of the foam roller, it's the smaller tissues, the more acute tissues, the ones that are deeper in the kinetic chain as well. So the foam roller can be great for large superficial tissues. If you're having success with that, go to town on it. I'm not saying not, don't use it, but if you're trying to get a foam roller on your infraspinatus or your, you know, your teres minor, good luck. You're going to need <laughs> right. something a little bit more acute. You're going to have to have the, the knowledge, the mastery level of your body to figure out where these things are first and foremost and then how to treat them effectively to get the most tension that we possibly can on them to treat ourselves. And literally, we can use this after every single training session. Say you had a hard training session uh, that had a lot of lateral movement in it. Go right for your vastus lateralis and your IT band. Say you went for a run. You're going to be treating the, the gastrocnemius and the soleus. Bench press day, you got your pec major. You got your pec minor, you got your anterior deltoid. You know, it can be as simple as that sometimes. And using these techniques really streamlines recovery because we're using about, you know, anywhere from about 8 to 15 repetitions on these tissues. 
So that can be done in as little as 45 seconds or so. You know, almost like you go to your massage therapist or your ART guy, your physical therapist, after a training session, you really feel good after that. So you're, you know, you're doing well the next day and you can train hard. That's exactly what you're doing uh, by yourself, you know, taking your tissues literally into your own hands. What, uh, what type of benefits are people having or reporting with this? What, what are you seeing the most? Chronic overuse injuries, uh, they're just zapping these things out. Uh, we've had clients that come into us that have had pain in their shins for years, runners, distance runners. We use a couple techniques in office on them. We teach the techniques in office. They go home and do them for a week or so. For certain conditions, especially chronically oriented conditions, getting the frequency of treatment over these tissues is awesome because we can really just uh, streamline the recovery process even that more. Even with uh, the strength training population, everybody is internally rotated and protracted at the shoulders. You know, trying to fix that posture, trying to work out some of those gnarly tissues in the chest, it really does a, a world of good, not only for trying to get out of pain, but also for improving performance. Uh, two follow-up questions here. How easy are the techniques to learn for the general population? Question number one. And question number two is where can people go to learn more about these techniques? The techniques are a challenge to learn at first, but we don't go right into the most complex protocols. So like I said, we got about 65 different protocols that we run, but we start people off slow. We start people off with bigger muscles that they can literally palpate and see in the mirror. And hands-on SMR isn't for everybody. It's for those passionate people that really want to take their bodies, their health, and their function to the next level. You know, we go out and we actually teach courses on hands-on SMR right now. Uh, We have NSCA accreditation for CEUs, and we're teaching coaches and uh, trainers the tools that they can instruct their own clients on to remediate their soft tissues. So if you're asking yourself, man, isn't that out of the scope of practice for coaches? It's not because there's actually no physical contact between the coach and the client. It is actually directed for the person to use these skills on their own body using their own hands. So it kind of sits between that gray area and really opens up the door of what a coach and a trainer is able to do within their scope of practice, but also to get top-end results for their clients. Excellent. Excellent. And I'm sure this is all on your, uh, your website. We'll talk about that um, at the end. Let's change gears again. I, one of the questions I really wanted to ask you about was the uh, four most debilitating exercises. And uh, I understand there was some misunderstanding around this article uh, that you uh, wrote for T Nation. So tell us about that and maybe some of the misconceptions behind it. So this was an article that came out probably around this time last year. And the title just caught everybody by surprise. You know, the, mo- the four most debilitating exercises. Hmm, what could they possibly be? And it ended up being that it was squats, deadlifts, bench press, and leg press. And if you're thinking to yourself, well, I do all of those to some extent. Yeah, so do I. You know, that's the point. And really, uh, the take-home from this article was that though the injury rates of these big movements were actually the highest, you know, both seen anecdotally and through the research, it's actually these movements having the highest ceiling for performance enhancement and aesthetics. So it's a double-edged sword. 
every single movement that you do has to have a purpose, and you have to always put a cost-benefit ratio against every movement that you want to program. So is programming the leg press twice a week into your you know, quad hypertrophy training program going to yield the results that you want, or is it going to leave you in the dust? You know, same thing goes with, like we already talked about, with the barbell deadlift. You know, are you ready to actually deadlift something off the floor with a barbell, or do you actually have to put the pieces together, maybe regress a tiny bit, master your movement, master your stability, and, you know, really groove the pattern before you get a little bit more complicated with your loads and also with the implement that you're moving. Right. And, um, you know, it all goes down to we need to have some continuum of progressions and regressions. We can't just jump in, especially for the, the newbie training population. You know, jumping into something that's far too advanced is a recipe for disaster. One, you might end up getting hurt. Two, you might end up with really poor movement quality. I mean, that's why you're in the gym in the first place is to move better, feel better, look better. Right. And that's not going towards those goals. But if you end up hurting yourself or your movement quality is poor, your likelihood of staying in a fitness program for the longevity of your life is, uh, is really not a good percentage. People are going to fall by the wayside on these programs if they're not really seeing success in progressing. The worst thing that somebody could do is continue to regress and regress and regress until they ultimately get hurt. That's a recipe for a lifestyle that will never turn back to fitness. And as fitness professionals, we really need to be pushing correct form, you know, correct patterns, but really improving over a long-term time basis on how we're able to move and what kind of implements we're using to move under loads. John, do you think we can, can we be over technical? Can we over coach technique? hundred percent, hundred percent. You know, some of the guys that I have come in, see me, the power lifters in the Olympic with three different tablets, showing me different angles of the same lift. Sometimes, you know, sometimes we're not going to be perfect, but just like the FMS preaches, just like Greg Cook preaches, it's not about perfection. It's about having requisite movement that's not going to leave you with debilitating injuries. So not everything has to be perfectly symmetrical. Right. Not everything has to be YouTube worthy to, to throw up online and you know, use in a presentation. But what it does need to do is not cause pain and have uh, some sort of progression where you can actually move in the right direction with your training. Yeah. I think that's really key. I mean, I think the bottom line with what you're saying here is that it has to be safe movement. It has to be quality movement. And, you know, we don't want to get hung up in, in overcoaching and being the, the movement police, as Gray says. But, uh, you know, it, it has to be a baseline requisite movement, like you just said. So that's a great uh, point and a great thing to understand. Now, on the flip side of these uh, four debilitating movements, what are the top movements for long-term health? My, my top five movements, uh, really, they look a lot like the four most debilitating movements, <laughs> which is funny. Right. You know, if people are like, oh, blasphemy, I can't believe this. You know, when they read this new article, you know, I hope they read it and they read it to a T because there's a lot of knowledge coming down in this. But really, before you look at the top five exercises that everyone should be doing to maintain optimal orthopedic health, 
we first need to look at the things that no matter what you do in the gym, if you don't take care of these two things before you enter the gym, no training program is going to help you. One of those things is posture. The second thing is having proper push-to-pull ratios in your training. So posture, in my view, is the biggest equalizer that we have in the westernized society. Whether you're an NFL quarterback making $15 million a year and playing on Sundays, or you're an office worker that sits at a desk 10 hours a day, you know, water jockeying it, uh, it's, it's, a huge, it's a huge problem because we're all using cell phones, we're all sitting, and we are all on computers more than we should be. You know, I'm guilty of this as well. I sit six to seven hours a day at our computer, I'm sure, as you do. And it's something that really we need to take care of, especially if you're in the training population with your pull-to-push training ratios. So even for the most highly specialized athletes that really have something that's specific in mind, whether it be for hypertrophy or performance, their training ratios, even at the top end, would be a one-to-one push-to-pull training ratio. So we're talking about something like, uh, you know, uh, a squat as opposed to a deadlift, you know, a push-to-pull. And really for the greater population, we need to be sticking to over a two-to-one pull-to-push ratio. So every time you hit the bench press, you better hit two back exercises to negate that, that pushing movement. You know, for people with really, really bad, piss-poor posture, we can throw that up to a three-to-one training ratio. Anything above that's a little bit too functional for my taste, but really those are the two things that before we even get into the top movements, we have to look at posture and ratios. But in terms of the top five movements themselves, I'm a huge fan of the face pull, uh, the rear foot elevated split squat, one of my favorites, loaded carries, you know, Stu McGill's favorite as well. Yeah, sure. Uh, the glute bridge. Yes. And then the squat and the deadlift. This is the one that people are going to go nuts about. So how, <laughs> how can the squat and deadlift be both debilitating and orthopedically sound at the same time? It's all about your execution. Right. It's all about your requisite movement and your ability to do so in a pain-free manner, but also something that you can progress for the long term. So the squat and deadlift is something that every single human on the face of the earth, no matter age, gender, you know, demographics, every single person should be doing these two movements. Is a 91-year-old woman going to get down on a barbell and rip 300 pounds off the floor? No. But she's going to maybe pick up something off the ground when she drops it. She might need that movement pattern, have the ability to do so without uh, suffering a lower back injury. You know, the same thing can be said for a squat. We need to be squatting to some extent because squatting really helps with our hip mobility. It really helps open up our spines and really, really it's something that we use from something as simple as a sit to stand, you know, sitting up from a chair. Think about how many times we do that in a day. And for any population, if you can't do that, we're in trouble. Yeah. So just going back to what you're saying about this is, you know, squat, the squat and deadlift can be. Well, it is the best of exercises. It can also be the worst of exercises if the requisite movement isn't there. And uh, I, I, I just think I, I totally agree with that, and I totally get that. So <laughs> I, I do want to ask you about the, the glute bridge that you mentioned. So what's the, uh, what's the major value with that? And I'm a big fan of that exercise, by the way, but I'd love to hear your explanation on that. So, 
the glute bridge and its many variations, it's as simple as training the biggest, most powerful muscle in the body, the muscle that has the ability to stabilize the hips. It has the ability to stabilize the spine. It has the ability to burn a lot of calories when you train it. You know, it helps your metabolism. And really, it's, uh, it's been aesthetically pleasing in our Western culture as of late, too. So really training that glute bridge and having the progression coming out from a supine position off the ground all the way up into something like Brett Contreras is popularized with the loaded hip thrust is something that I think everyone should be prioritizing. Yeah. And I don't think I've ever mentioned this before, but I would have to say that um, the glute bridge is probably one of the most valuable exercises I experienced when I was going through my own back rehabilitation many years ago. So I've mentioned this on the show, but I had a major back injury. That's what led me to become a PT, a physical therapist, and um, you know, very diligent with my home exercises and my rehab and things. And the glute bridge, without question, is just an incredibly uh, valuable exercise and really helped me get back to uh, competing in bodybuilding and, and all that kind of stuff after my surgery. So. It, it can be a powerful tool. It really can be, um, you know, really for any population too. And it's something that even for, you know, the elderly, yes. we can actually throw some, some load on that when they get uh, very good with their movement and their stability. And it's something that they're really proud of. It's like, wow, man, yeah. I just, I just <laughs> hip thrust it with something on my hips. I would have never thought I could do this. You right. know, we had a client the other day, he's uh, 71 years old. He had, a, he had over 135 pounds on the barbell doing a glute bridge, and you should have seen the, just the joy on his face, like, man, I just dominated that. And, um, you know, really, if you train a muscle as big and powerful as the glute, we can do a lot of good things that translate elsewhere in the body. So it's really training that centralized portion of the body within the hip and letting those, uh, those gains go elsewhere in the body, down to the lower extremity, up into the core. It even goes right into the shoulder complex, up into the upper extremity. So it's really, uh, really something that needs to be keyed in on. Absolutely. Now, if you could change one thing in the fitness industry, uh, what would it be and why? I have this conversation all the time. <laughs> and the one thing is that it needs fitness and health needs to be looked at in a long-term basis. We all have our goals that we want in the short term. Obviously, everyone wants to cut up for the summer, wants to go out to the pool, look good. You know, people have competitions coming up, things along those lines. If you're going to run an Ironman or you're going to be in a a bodybuilding competition, that's one thing. But for long-term health, we need to be looking at it not from a six-week standpoint or even a six-month or not even a six-year. How about like a six-decade standpoint? If you really want to be doing things physically that you enjoy for the rest of your life, you need to be looking at a periodization scheme that's decades long. So taking a longer-term approach to training and really uh, planning maybe more strategically. Yeah, and that goes polar opposite of what our culture wants. So our culture wants the here and now. They want it right now. If they don't lose 15 pounds after two workouts, you know, majority of people will quit and say it won't work or they'll, they'll program hop back and forth, whether it be nutrition or training-based programs. Yeah. And really giving things the long-term to work, really not trying to throw too many cards out of the deck right away. Yeah. You know, you only have so many bullets in the gun. And if you shoot them all off at once, you're left with nothing when you hit that plateau. 
Right. So really just trying to maximize one aspect of your life, one aspect of your training or nutrition at a time, and really just reaping every single benefit that you can get out of that one aspect before moving on. And this stuff doesn't happen overnight. And really for a lot of my clients, it's a long-term thing. We preach the buy-in for long-term success. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's great. And you just uh, reminded me of something. So I'm reading Dan John's new book right now called Can You Go? And one of the things that he talks about in the book is being for the long haul. I mean, essentially, what you just said is what he uh, reaffirmed in the book is that, you know, people want the quick fix. They want it right now. But we we can't approach it like that. We've got to be in for the long term. So I love that uh, advice that you just brought up. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Dan John, too. Uh, you know, Dan John and Charles Staley are, in my mind, the two best uh, mature athletes out there. And when these guys talk, you, you listen. And really, their, their teachings and their writings and their indirect mentorship, they're the ones that made me prioritize the hypertrophy training because, you know, you've talked to Dan before, and he'll tell you, you know, what is going to fuel your machine for the rest of your life? It's muscle mass yeah, and yeah. things along those lines. Uh, we actually had the chance to to speak uh, with Dan John up in Canada later on in October. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah, he's a great guy. And you just answered the question I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you what coaches and uh, fitness experts do you admire the most? And it sounds like uh, Charles, Charles Staley and Dan John are the guys. So, You know, th- those two are the guys uh, from a training standpoint. But just from a fitness standpoint, I grew up reading T Nation. Yeah. From the time, man, I was in high school all the way up until now. And their editors, Chris Shugart and TC Luoma, they've made the most impact on my life, on my thought processes, but also the way that I put out information for the masses to really help the entire industry. And uh, those guys have done more for our career than I could ever imagine could have been possible. So nice. those two guys, uh, I've been reading for, seems like decades now. And <laughs> yeah, to yeah. be able to move into somewhere where you can actually write and throw ideas out there. Well, cool, man. Uh, we've covered a lot here and, uh, we're, we're winding down. So I want to do this, uh, power three segment. These are three rapid fire questions I got for you. So we're going to, uh, lead off into that now, and then we'll, we'll pull things all together here. So question number one is, uh, the biggest training mistake that most people make is what? Going too heavy, going too complicated right away and fizzling out or getting hurt. I would agree. I would agree. <laughs> the, the one fitness or performance book that's had the greatest impact on you would be what? Uh, you know, I, I had the opportunity to take my first job out in Southern California with a, a prominent strength coach named Todd Durkin. And Todd, in 2004, released his book, Impact the Body Plan. And I read that book, and it really resonated with me, uh, the way he was working with his athletes, but also the way that every client was an athlete to him. You know, whether they were 70-year-olds or whether they're throwing touchdown passes on Sundays. And really, that made a big impact on me. And later on, I was able to learn from him in person. So that specific book keeps on coming back to me. Can you restate the title of that book? Uh, it's uh, Todd Durkin's Impact the Body Plan. Gotcha. Okay. I'm trying to, um, I'm actually looking on my bookshelf to see if I have that. I, I think I read that some time ago. <laughs> yeah, <it's an> <laughs> I lose goodie. track of what I read. 
That's crazy. All right. Question number three is uh, what pisses you off the most about training today? Uh, the lack of focus. Lack of focus. The lack of focus. Um, so I train in a commercial gym right now. Uh, we have a gym up here in Madison, Wisconsin, but you know we have a family lifestyle. So we bring our daughters into the daycare at this commercial gym that's close to our house. And I mean, half the ideas I get for my writing comes from this gym. You know, people take in uh, phone calls literally mid-set with a barbell on their back. Like, I've oh, seen man. some crazy, crazy things. Not yeah. saying that everybody's doing this stuff, but literally, like, put the phones away, guys. You know, yeah. have some focus. Have some meaning to your training. Uh, you know, like Arnold says, you know, that's Mickey Mouse stuff. Yeah. You need to literally be <laughs> focusing on what you do. Right. And, uh, you know, if you're not able to focus on it, you're just pissing your time away. You're pissing the energy away. And really, you're leading yourself down a bad path where you're not going to be successful. And you're going to think it's because of the training program you were on, not your execution of that program. Yeah, yeah that's kind of a big deal. I mean, I think in uh, today's uh, age of distraction, um, you know, people need to just, you know, when, when you're training, you know, shut it down, you know, train, focus. And you could say that about the big picture too, you know, focus in on programs and, and the big goal and things like that. So I think that, uh, that's definitely something that, that stirs me up as well. It's really a <laughs> lack of focus because I think if we focused, we would get, uh, so much better results. You know what I mean? It's, I write about this. I, I talk about it all the time, but it really does come down to just simply focusing on fundamental things and not getting distracted. So, yeah, in our world of technology now, it's it's a hard thing to do. We're we're just so plugged in. We're just so plugged in. It's hard to turn off, even when you get to the gym. You yeah. know, people are like that twenty four seven, and it's a lot to ask for somebody to take it off while they go to the gym because that's the norm now. But um, you know, times are changing. Yep. Yep. <laughs> All right, so uh, your website is drjohnrussin.com. Tell us what you got going on over there, what people can find, and uh, where else people can uh, find you on social media and connect and all that kind of stuff. Our website's our big hub, so we have every single published article that we do. You know, we're writing full-time for T Nation now for Breaking Muscle and also for John Meadows' Mountain Dog Diet, so all the articles can be found right there. We also put out a blog where we actually write in about the hands-on SMR technique, some rehab, some hypertrophy. We're even bringing in guest posts now from some talented strength coach and therapists from around the world. So a lot of information over there. And everything can be found right on that website. Uh, in terms of social media, uh, our Facebook likes page is John Russin Fitness Systems. And on Twitter, we can be found at John Russin. Excellent. Uh, tell us a little bit more about the, uh, the coaching programs and how that works. I think that's really interesting. So uh, let's hear a little bit more about that. And then I have one final question for you as we wrap up. So our coaching programs are exciting because there's not a whole lot of people in the industry that have both a background in PT and in high performance strength and conditioning that offer both things on an online platform. So we really take people that are looking to get healthy but also then to dominate their fitness after they get healthy with us. So we, we take people from all walks, and really we spend the time, uh, a limited number of people that we take. So it's not just the cookie cutter that you get sent in a Word document every other month. We literally spend uh, every single week getting on Skype calls, literally putting every data point down that we possibly can and teaching 
everything first and foremost so you can reproduce it forever later on in your life. Fantastic. That sounds awesome, John. Sounds like you're doing a great job and uh, great things for people, which is really, really exciting. So uh, the final question here is uh, what's the big advice or action you have for listeners after hearing our interview session today? Really just be your own best friend when it comes to protecting your body, but also protecting it in a means that we can progress and get something out of your training, get some sort of training effect. So there's a fine line between taking it too easy and going nuts and hurting yourself. And finding that line takes focus, it takes commitment, and it takes a long-term outlook. And, uh, you know, I do have one follow-up question that I wanted to ask, and it goes back to what you said earlier about posture. And I'm going to ask uh, another advice or action question. So what's something that people can do to improve their posture? Because I think that's really a big deal. I'm just wondering if there's, uh, is it awareness or? This is a simple one. All right. Put down your damn phone. (laughs) Get off the computer for a little while. Go for a walk. It's really the static posture that kills people. Yes. Whether it be a static posture for six hours in a chair slumping over or whether it be a static posture doing something on your feet. It's really that change in position that's uh, really important for people. But, you know, even to make it more simple, just take a break from your handheld technologies. That can do a lot for you. You know, think about where your hands are when you're on a computer, when you're on the cell phone. They're in that same position. That's a nasty position to spend your day in. So even just putting that stuff down, your shoulders are naturally going to come back. That kyphotic position at the spine is naturally going to become more extended. Your head's not going to be down the whole day. You're going to actually come up and maybe have a conversation with somebody while you're at it. So really just trying to de-plug a little bit can be a very good thing for your posture. But again, going back to prioritizing the pulls in your, in your training as well, if you take it a step further in training. Absolutely. Well, that's great stuff. And I didn't mean to ask a, a second question there with the big advice, but um, I was just, that was something I wanted to ask you earlier about posture because that's definitely, I think, a, a big issue for a lot of people. So great stuff. John, this has been a great interview. I uh, really appreciate all your awesome insight and all the great work you're doing. Definitely looking forward to uh, reading a lot more of your work over at T Nation and Breaking Muscle. Uh, thank you so much, and hopefully we'll, we'll do this again down the line. Thanks, Scott. Appreciate it. You got it. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed this week's interview with Dr. John Russin. I thought he shared some really great content. As always, I will attach links for things that we discussed in this week's show notes for episode number 123. So thanks for listening. Again, make sure to go to the all-new and redesigned ardellatraining.com website, and I think you're really going to enjoy it, especially the navigation and how easy it is to find things over there. So thanks for being here this week. I've got some great things coming. So stay tuned and uh, we'll talk again soon. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Ardella Training Podcast. Go to ArdellaTraining.com right now to join Scott's tribe of passionate fitness enthusiasts. Get valuable updates and resources that will help you take it to the next level. Train strong. We'll catch you next time on the Ardella Training Podcast.